Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. Our guests today are Roman and Eugene from the Ukrainian band Ginger, who is really, really sick. Let's get this started. Roman and Eugene from Ginger, welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. How are you guys doing? Hi, everyone. Oh, well, thank you. I'm okay. Just, you know, had a, had a day uh, at home. Didn't go anywhere. It's all right here. Yeah. Have been preparing for the for the podcast. Thank you. And what about you, Roman? How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, it's nice to have you guys here. Um, I'm friends with uh, your producer, Max. Max Morden, for anybody that is not familiar, over at URM, we had him on Nail the Mix a few months ago. Ginger Nail the Mix. And first of all, thank you guys for allowing that to happen. And uh, second of all, uh, you guys have a great producer. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm so I'm just curious from your perspective and we'll talk about we'll talk about guitar, too. But just because normally I only talk to the producers when I do nail the mix. I'm curious what it is about Max that makes you guys want to work with him. The reason I'm asking is because it's uh, it's I think it's really cool when a band goes to the same producer over and over and they kind of develop their sound together you know sometimes bands will record with a producer once and then just go somewhere else like what is it about max's working style that makes you keep going back well first of all i think it, it needs to be it's need to say it needs to say that we we actually have been working with him for all these years since 2014 and we 13 i think even 13 yeah we we, we yeah. made the first song together with him with him in 2013 and after seven years we just know each other very well and uh, the main the main reason why it is so comfortable for us to work with Max is because we we just we are good friends we know each other very well we understand each other very well we, we share the same language we speak uh, Russian and uh, the communication is just very smooth it, it, and it is important I think because you need to to discuss very very tiny details talking about arrangements sound mixing everything. Yeah, and language barrier can be a big problem, in my opinion, just to, in order to understand each other in the right way. What's interesting, though, is I feel like even when there's no lang vocal language barrier between musicians and producers, sometimes there's still a barrier between their understanding of the music itself. So you could speak the same language perfectly i've seen uh, and still not be on the same page but I, th I feel like you guys are on the same page artistically too so it's a whole other level of communication i feel like when you guys do speak about music you're understanding each other in an artistic way too right yeah that that's what i meant at first of course it's yeah just the language itself yeah but also uh, this is what i started with seven years after working with the, uh, the same person for so long it's it's just a bond between him and us it, it, we we sometimes in the studio we even feel like max is uh, another member of the band because he he definitely knows what we want and he knows how to make it real, how to implement this in the real life, he understands us and and understands us perfectly. So one thing that's interesting about Max is he was a I knew him first as a as a member of URM. He was one of the 
students and he was obviously one of the best ones like everybody paid attention to him because they knew his ginger recordings and other stuff he's done but he was also just in the community everyone was like this guy's badass and one thing that i've noticed whenever producers and bands stay together usually well almost always this happens the band keeps progressing right they add new things to their style they get better all that stuff but the producer does at this also so the producer also expands their abilities i've noticed in the situations where say the band evolves and progresses but the producer kind of stays the same uh those will be the types of scenarios where the bands start going other places and you guys have added a lot to your style over the past many years yeah so what i'm wondering is when you're trying to expand your musical style where do you go or what do you do in order to to do that like do you start learning new styles of music do you say to yourself i want to i want to incorporate more of uh this style of music that we didn't have before or is it just you're just listening to new kinds of stuff and it just comes through like where does it come from it comes from i don't know just sitting jamming around with the guitar and playing like i don't know is it this is how i made my riffs i don't know i don't focus on this on the like metal or not metal style like yeah i think it's common for us all we we just we do not really aim at writing this very part in this very style this is not what we do we 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 just let it flow if something really hard and heavy comes it comes naturally and same for soft moments uh it it comes very naturally it's not just because we sit and okay we want to play some something very funky in, in this part of the song and then we try hard to write exactly what we planned no the process is absolutely different it just flows and if uh, in the middle like let's say in the middle of composing something something like funky comes and it fits we'll we'll let it go we'll we'll stay with this to cut it short we do not plan our songs we don't plan it like We'll play three pieces of extremely heavy deathcore and then finish with something soft. No, it, it doesn't happen like this. Uh, we just let it flow and whatever comes, especially, well, let me yeah, take my own example. When I write a song and I just let it flow, I, I, I might have some, something, you know, a foundation, a few riffs, and then I start adding to these riffs something new. And whatever comes, I just try it, whether it fits or not. If it fits, doesn't matter how it sounds, soft or heavy, I, I just, I, I am with this piece and they just keep on going after that, adding more and more more pieces until I think that this or that song is complete. I imagine that because your music is so complex that going into the studio without it being close to finished might not be the best idea. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've, ex I've had experiences like that with a, uh, with bands that play complex music and they came to record with me but didn't have their their stuff finished and uh didn't always go very well how long does it normally take you guys to write a song like from the moment that you have the first idea until like yes this song is 99 percent done it's ready for the studio is there like a general amount of time it usually takes or are they all different yeah we don't have time usually write new music uh, a couple of last years we were on tours, so it was like micro EP we compose and record in two months, I think, or one month and a half. Uh, macro album, 
we compose and record in, I think, three months. Compose and record it in three months? Yeah, yeah. Wow. So <laughs> now I take a break. Like Vlad, uh, already our drummer Vlad already composed a couple of no, not a couple of already five, six, seven songs. And I I take a break a little bit to understand in what way I want to go in with new music. Yeah, with, we we write separately. Uh, we there are songs which just come from me, from Roman, and from Vlad. Yeah, and the, I think this is the reason why it is it was possible for us to write within s such short period of times because the material come from three different sources. Yeah, and then we just work on the arrangements together and our own lines, bass lines, guitar parts, everything. Yeah, and also talking about, about vocabulary, this is this is what John mentioned. Uh, when you have these certain gaps in between releases, uh, it doesn't really mean that it, it took us only three months to write an album. We were collecting, I think, every single uh, member of the band was collecting material, was collecting vocabulary. Me not. Me him not. not, him not me, <laughs> me, yes. I just, I just I had some pieces already. Yeah. By the time we sat down here in Kiev and started writing for Macro, I had some pieces prepared, you know, something long, uh, long forgotten, I would say, something which was put aside uh, on the far shelf. But then I just was ready to write and I had these pieces just to start and it helps a lot. Yeah, we did uh, some funny names, some funny names for all songs, yeah. some, uh, I don't remember, but it was Angry Man and stuff like that, one song was, Words of Wisdom was Angry Man, I think. Copy-paste, Jenny's, we had a song, <laughs> yeah. in the in, back yeah. in the early days we had a song labeled Jenny's, after that character from France TV series, there was Jenny's, and we somehow labeled it Jenny's, but uh, labeling it like good, bad, or very good, uh, I, I don't think we do this. Me personally, no, I am not. And uh, I only, I, I just do not save bad things. If I think something is good, I I may put it aside. Thank you. But I do not save bad That's things. That's what I do too. <laughs> I've always believed in throwing away bad ideas and, you know, throw them to the garbage where they belong. So like, okay, this cup right here, when I finish this coffee, it's going to be trash. Why will I get this cup out of the trash in six months. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's music. <laughs> well, it's because I'm, I've never been afraid of not being able to make new and better ones. <laughs> Self-confidence. <laughs> yeah. I, I always, I always feel so. I just, I always had this feeling like, okay, this kind of sucks. I've got something way better in me. I know I'll do something better later. And then I, but I understand what you guys are saying for sure. I like, I get it. I get, I get why you save riffs. It, it makes sense. Um, okay. Here's my question about that. One of the reasons that I would throw things away is because you know, that feeling when you're writing something where it's like, fuck yeah, like this is awesome. And you get excited to be working on it because it's awesome. And you know, time disappears and you're just you get in the zone and you're just making something awesome. And then the moment fades and you got as far as you got with it. But I don't know how to make that, that feeling come back for something that I wrote two years ago. Right. Cause I'm not in that moment of creation anymore. So I feel like when I take an old riff, it's kind of more just a clinical, it's like a clinical thing. And 
it doesn't feel it do, I don't get that fuck yeah this is awesome feeling and um and that's why maybe that's a bad reason but uh that's that's one of the reasons why but it's you it's your reason uh yeah. I don't mind it yeah, yeah. <laughs> I also do both I trash you bad do both? Okay. and yeah I do both <laughs> at some point something might seem to you very very bad but in a few years even you you just accidentally come across with a piece and it, it sounds to you like i don't know the the, uh, the the best thing you've ever written of course it happens that's happened to me too do you have any songs out of curiosity i'm curious do you guys have any songs that when you wrote them you were they were maybe not your favorite song or like you were like sure that people weren't going to like it or you know if you have an album, there's always going to be your favorite song and your least favorite song. And sometimes there's some songs that make it through that, you know, maybe you're not the most excited about. Have you ever had that where you're just not into a song, but then somehow it becomes a bigger song or over the years you somehow learn to love it and then it becomes one of your favorite songs? Has that ever happened? I actually have an example. When we were writing that song... We actually, me and Roman, we were having a lot of argument about this, and we couldn't complete it well, and it took took a lot of time. And Roman was I even no, no, no. Roman was even suggesting to take it off the album, and this ah, spices. This is spices. Our biggest hit ever. Oh wow! Yeah. There you go. That's exactly what I meant. So we wrote two two uh, different end of a song, I think. Yes, and it was like. I want another end of a song, and I wrote like. Uh, he wrote an alternative, alternative uh, ending for the song, and he wanted to change it, and I was against this. I love it more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and at some point he literally said word for word, "Let's take it off the album. Let's write something else." <laughs> <laughs> but in that time, we don't have time for that, and we are like about to move from Lviv to Kiev to the studio and we don't have time to uh, any song and Pice is the biggest hit <laughs> for Ginger, biggest song now and a lot of views, but not my favorite. It's again about overthinking. I, I Yeah, it, we just overthink and, and people tend to overthink too. I I actually, it, it's a bit off topic. That's okay. When we released uh, Micro and Macro, within the same year and uh, it was obvious that we spent quite short time writing those songs there were some people out there you know people go crazy uh, in the comments section uh, on in, on the internet in general and there were some people who were seriously speaking saying that we couldn't write a good stuff some something really good within that short period of time just for one reason because it was too short period of time and that's it yeah so uh, you see, it's kind of... My favorite songs was written like maybe a day, maybe a couple of hours. My favorite perennial was perennial. Like, like this. Yeah, also it was like... It's a hit. Song. Like one day, I think, one day I spent with the song. I clearly remember he brought he brought the song and he, he literally wrote, wrote it within one day. Yeah, and then I sit like three weeks for the next song. <laughs> I sit in three <laughs> weeks for the next song. It's just hard to take things seriously when you know that you just basically shat it out in like a day. But you know what's interesting is with all the people that we've talked to on this podcast, you know, and also 
all the producers I've talked to and then years and years of studying famous songwriters. And I've come to the conclusion that a grand majority of popular songs in any genre are generally written pretty fast. But it's hard to it's hard to take yourself seriously when you write something really, really fast because like you said, you're overthinking and there's that voice that feels like you didn't do any work or you could have done more or you were lazy. Like there's no way that it could possibly be awesome when I spent five hours on it, when I spent three weeks on this other song. Like this can't be, it can't be. Like there's some sort of a, disconnect in our mind between accepting that something's good and having it been created in a very short period of time but it's a fallacy because we all know that art doesn't have anything to do with time art and inspiration are almost independent of time so you can have you can have the inspiration and be in the right mood and at the right time and just be big you know comes down like lightning and it just comes out of you perfect or close to perfect. And that's, it is what it is. It's hard to accept that, but I feel like that's how it happens for a lot of people. It is exactly the way it happens for, for the other people. This is actually what our drummer is having now. This is what Roman mentioned. This, this motherfucker has written uh, seven, seven, eight songs during this lockdown quarantine. He, almost the, the entire album yeah, uh, is ready just because he's writing nonstop. <laughs> this is the inspiration for sure. <laughs> Does he write with a guitar? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, who play guitar, bass, all this shit. <laughs> yeah, well, one of those guys. <laughs> and also piano, he, keyboards, he play keyboards, like he have education, musical education for keyboards. Piano, piano. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how he happened to, you know, be in a metal band and, and enjoy metal. Because he has he has absolutely different origins. He he started playing very early, being you know a small kid. Because his mom sent him to sent him to music school, and then he graduated from the music school from music college. And he is an educated musician, despite the others. Because we are just self self taught, self educated. Me, Roman, Tatiana. So how do you guys uh, communicate? Let's talk more about communication because sometimes people from music school have a hard time communicating with self-taught people because, you know, with music school, you get taught rules for communication, like talking in theory, talking, you know, whatever it is, uh, even charts. It's not about Vlad now. <laughs> Vlad, spe no, Vlad speaks like not music language at all. Like, oh, let's play this shit there. Oh, ah, okay. This. Yeah, it, it's, it's like easy. He's very down to earth in terms of theory. <laughs> yeah, doesn't doesn't overload us with terms. <laughs> to be honest, we understand a bit of music theory on the level to be able to communicate with other uh, musicians. So we we are not yeah. completely, you know, zero in this way. In my personal opinion, and tell me yours, uh, music theory is designed in order so that people can communicate. Because in reality, you don't need theory in order to write better music. You need an ear and you need taste in order to write better music. But when communicating, if you want other people to play it with you, you need some way to tell them what's going on. Uh, I mean, yeah, they could do it all by ear, uh, but theory just provides an efficient 
universally understood way to to communicate that. So I feel like, you know, whether you go to school or not, uh, having a, a basic level, a basic understanding, like you said, just enough to be able to communicate with other musicians, that's what matters. That's my opinion. Yeah, completely agree. I've always found that writing the music the way you write music with the guitar or whatever is is the way to do it and then use guitar pro in order to document it and show other people because if you're writing something complicated you can't always count on them to be able to pick it up exactly just from the recording however the recording helps so that they understand how it's supposed to feel and what it's supposed to sound like but the tab is what helps them understand the exact notes i think they work together however what i've never understood is when people compose a guitar pro and then they try to uh, play it. However, yes, I ju- we just had a guy named Nick Sampson on the podcast who's uh, he's a great producer and a great guitar player. And he's the dude who's done all the Polyphia records and, you know, they're incredible guitar players. He can play guitar on that level. And he works with those kinds of bands that are guitar motherfuckers. And uh, he's a guitar motherfucker. And he writes on Guitar Pro. And then learns how to play it. And he's not one of those dudes that... Like, normally when I think about that, I think of guys that don't know how to play guitar. But then I meet guys like Nick Sampson who write on Guitar Pro and then are amazing guitar players. It breaks my brain. Because I don't I don't understand how you can write on Guitar Pro and then pick up a guitar. It's so... It's backwards to me. It is. But again, I mean, people are different. And yes, th- this exactly. is their own way. And just... I, I, I just remember a thing. Actually, all those classic music composers, not all this, those, but many of them were composing music on paper. Yes, they were. They had a piano, generally, okay? That's key. So they could hear the notes. They had the piano. I guess you can hear the notes through Guitar Pro. You're right that in the old days, people would write it down and uh, hand it to other people. And you were supposed to be able to hear it in your head just by reading the page. But, uh, but that's what I think recording is for. Back to why it's good to use both methods. I think that recording replaces the need to be able to listen to sheet music in your own head. But I think in the old days, they were just doing what they had to because they had no technology. I bet you if Mozart was around now, he'd be using a computer. Of course. Of course he'd be. <laughs> yeah. Except whenever I would write riffs, I would record them and put them in Guitar Pro. It just made it way easier that way for those reasons. And then also, man, here the, here's the thing. When you're in a two-guitar band, and I mean, everybody here has played or plays in a band that plays complicated music. So I'm not saying this to to people who don't understand this already, but... For the listeners, when you're playing in a two-guitar band that plays fast, complex music, you need to find an efficient way for the other person to learn your shit. Especially if you're writing tough shit, you want to make it easier for them so they don't get frustrated with you. Um, Because it's already hard enough for them to learn the parts, right? Like, it's already... If you're writing shit that's challenging, you're already... I'm not saying that they're not going to learn it, but uh, you can make it 
easy for them or you can make it a fucking frustrating experience. Um, and why make it a frustrating experience for someone you work with? So I find that being able to give them the guitar pro makes their life a lot easier. So there's that too. And everyone listening to this pretty much plays complicated music. So as a service to your fellow bandmates, you know, giving them as much data as possible, I think is always better, don't you guys think? Absolutely correct. And from yeah. my perspective, being a bass guitarist, uh, having a tab just makes my life four times easier. Because when it comes not to composing itself, but creating your bass line or just make, working on arrangements in general, having a visualization of the others, the other instruments really helps. Because this is not like straight composing. This is just creating something which will perfectly fit, let's say, guitar and drums. And then I, I, I just, I'm very happy that we have such a tool as a guitar pro. So speaking of your bass lines, I want to talk about them a little bit because you're an actual bass player. And uh, <laughs> I'm sure, well, you're laughing, but uh, you know what I mean? Like a lot of bass players in metal are not actual bass players. Um, they just they play bass guitar, but they don't think like bassists. They just think like low guitarists. And you know what? Sometimes that's appropriate. Sometimes bass should play this. Very often. Yeah, I mean, yeah it, it works, but not always. And, and I feel like it shouldn't be the default mode that, just, that you just repeat what the guitarist does because that's all you know how to do. Like, so like you said, you think about finding the spot between the drums and the guitar the think like like a real basis so what i'm wondering is is this just a thing that you do by feel like uh when you're going to deviate from the guitar line is it just it, this riff doesn't feel like i should be following it or how does that come into your mind i have a very good answer actually it comes not from the guitar it comes from the drums the problem is that spoken like a real basis yeah <laughs> an instrument which prevents a bass guitarist to go the other way is the drums and uh, on the first two records of ginger on cloud factory and king of everything the the drum the drums just were too intense to go too much from the guitar too intense and that was purely metal style of drumming when Vlad joins the band and he has absolutely different style of drumming, yeah, this is the, that was the time when I finally had more space, more space just to go creatively the other directions, sometimes very, very far from guitar, guitar lines. Yeah, and uh, this, is, this is just, this is it. If, if uh, the drums are too intense and this pure, you know, metal style with a lot of blast beats, a lot of uh, double bass, yeah, kick drum. Then you just you just don't have space for bass guitar. And the only way for you is just to follow the guitar, follow the guitar, follow the guitar. That makes perfect sense. I mean, I feel like that's it's kind of the way it should be done. So basically, with the drummer giving you more space, you've been able to actually have real bass lines that Absolutely. are independent. Absolutely. Yeah. Man, I can tell you on records I've produced when the bass player sucks and I ended up playing the bass, this is the most fun I ever have in the studio. It's just such a fun instrument to actually play. You play it hard. It's, uh, it's great. So speaking of space, and 
leaving space. I want to talk about how you work your arrangements in order to fit beautiful melodic vocals in there because it's a I realize that you guys will go soft sometimes and sure that that makes sense but she sings 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 over a lot of the super heavy parts and uh and you guys aren't doing the you're not doing the commercial thing where you'll just play certain chords to allow the vocalist to sing she's doing some very intricate melodies over some very intricate music and it works so what i'm wondering is when you guys are writing those types of riffs are you thinking to yourself there's going to be a crazy melodic vocal over this we need to leave space no never <laughs> no <laughs> that is like i don't know we like compose a song so pre-recorded like pre-recording maybe with like some midi drums or not like and send it to Tati and then Tati start work on vocal parts and then on the studio we for the first time hear the vocal parts it was in the macro album and we're like whoa it's like different song it's like what the fuck we we have absolutely no idea what she's going to do yeah yeah <laughs> i do believe vocals make or break a band regardless of the style of music even in the heaviest music the vocals make it or break it and uh it's such an important crucial piece and just to have the confidence in your vocalist that vocalist is going to do what the vocalist does and it's going to be better and you just know that <laughs> ahead of time that's great and then the fact that it actually is better that's even greater it is she proved it over the years there is there is yeah. no more reason to you know worry about this anymore yeah from the first records we're like oh i don't know how she i don't know <laughs> nobody understands how she does it yeah yeah very often we leave the first take she go goes to this control room stands in front of the mic starts singing and it's actually improvisation in many in many times yeah and we can leave the first take ask max about this he he will he'll confirm yeah he he told me that we we, we just leave the first yeah. take how she does it i don't know that's pretty rare <laughs> That's not a very normal thing. Even among really good vocalists, it's not normal that the majority of takes are improvised first takes. So, okay, so you guys literally have heard nothing before? Yeah. Nothing. You have zero idea zero. what's going <laughs> yeah. on. She goes in the booth and she belts something out and boom, it's perfect. Next, pretty much. <laughs> I sometimes, I sometimes uh, go through the lyrics before she goes to the studio but I, I i i never had a chance to listen to what how how she's gonna sing this and that yeah only through the text but that's it so to me the idea of a vocalist just walking in and boom it's great the first time fuck yeah that's great i hope tatiana will not watch the podcast because next time she'll ask us for six weeks for the vocals <laughs> um, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> Even then. One of the biggest mistakes, in my opinion, in metal production is waiting until the very end to do the vocals or just doing it all in like two days or three days. Like vocalists need rest. Absolutely. So I think that's smart. Let her do her thing, recover, 
and then be a hundred percent fresh and do her thing again. Yeah. So everything was already totally recorded and then it's vocal time Yeah. and she would do a session 48 hours later, do another session. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. All right. That, that makes a uh, perfect sense. So, um, you were saying that, uh, you know, your drummer has written seven songs. Have you guys been writing overall throughout this lockdown period? Yeah, I have some ideas on my computer, and but it's not completely songs. I I, I made only one. Only one. <laughs> one, one. One song, yeah. So just out of curiosity, what do you use at home that's uh, different than what you use live? Like what's a, when you're writing rig, what does that consist of? Or your practice rig? I don't know. It's Mac, Mac Pro uh, and audio interface. And I use Helix now for pre-recording. That's it. It's my like, traveling rig. And I use like small monitors, IKEA multimedia, I love for like monitoring and stuff, and that's it. You don't use the Helix live? You 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 play it live. <laughs> ah, live. When live I, on stage, well, on stage. Oh, oh. And now I use Helix like on stage. Uh, I use it for clean sounds and for, for impulse responses. And also uh, sounds from my head from preamp go into the Helix, then goes in from the, through the impulse responses left and right to PA straight from the helix and clean sound goes from emulation of clean amp. Well, it's like different uh, snapshots, that's it. But I also use mic with the cap. Are you basically using like a load box, like a head into a load box and then into the helix for the IRs and then out to the PA? How complicated do you go? Not, not complicated at all. Uh, I just use helix for my whole chain, I, I split my, my signal. I have uh, a clean signal and uh, I have a dirty signal, which is actually just a guitar amp uh, and uh, an impulse response. And I also have, uh, I, I just, I have a, a copy of my clean signal, which is which I use as uh, a monitor signal to my in-ears. So, and uh, uh, this is basically it, just the helix uh, I, of course, can use some backline, you know, just to have some pressure on stage. But it doesn't really influence the sound in the mix and uh, the sound in the PA. So everything comes out of Helix. And uh, at home, uh, I just have another Helix, same chain. At some point, I, you know, started following uh, an, a piece of advice by almighty Billy Sheehan. And he said that you'd better just cut down all the things which could be different and uh, just minimize all, all those thing, things which can be different when you play. Use the same guitar, the same amp, the same everything everywhere. Mm -hmm. And this is what I try to do. I just use the same thing everywhere. At home, on stage, in the studio, because uh, in the studio I play through my chain uh, for monitoring. Of course, I record just a DI signal most of the time, but I use Helix and my chain just to monitor what I'm playing. I I feel like uh, uh, when the Kemper came out in 2013 and it started spreading around to guitar players, that was kind of the first time that it became possible to take... I mean, you could use like a pod before that, but like 
if you had like really, really good amp tone or whatever, that's the first time that you could take the exact tone from the studio and like really, really take it everywhere. And now that's just uh, the way things are done. Why would you not take the tone that you're used to and the rig that you're used to if it's that easy to do? Absolutely. In my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not a big thing. I mean, the helix itself, how, how, how big it is. This, this size. So <laughs> it, it is not really complicated in any way just to, to use it everywhere, at home, on stage, everywhere. Yeah. In your live rig, so you basically using like a like a real head, and then that goes yeah. into a load box, load box into the helix. I mean, not not load box into no, the helix. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. Got it. And the IR goes to the PA. Yeah, and also we might Windows uh, thirty solution speaker. Yeah. So you guys basically kind of have the same setup wherever you're going which is super efficient because it really allows you to hone in how you do things. Because as you know, when you play with different types of tones, it affects the way that you play. So having the same thing everywhere uh, probably makes you guys that much tighter of a band because there's less variables to think about. And so then with the idea of recording a live record do you think that that makes it easier to approach that idea when you know that what you're going to be using is the same every single night there's less to worry about i guess yeah absolutely actually just yeah you know to be precise on this the idea of having one and the same thing every night at home everywhere it is not only about me and roman using helixes it is uh, everything we have on stage. While on tour, we bring our set of mics, our mixing console, our just everything. It, wherever we go and it is possible to bring our own backline, we'll bring our backline. So basically all around Europe will most possibly come by a van or by a mini uh, nightliner and bring our own backline. We will not have a rented stuff. Whenever we go somewhere overseas, Hopefully now in, in the States, we can yeah, we just have our own stuff there too. The drums, Vlad has his drum ki- kit there. We bring our guitars, we have our helixes, and it's exactly the same set which we have uh, in Europe, just 100%. So, and once we go on stage, we don't need much time because it's our mixing console. The, the, we have already something pre, uh, pre-set. We have a preset for, for each state, stage. So it, it makes everything way easier and more efficient. And of course, when you go on stage somewhere in Melbourne, uh, in Australia, first time there, and uh, we actually decided to do this live album during the sound check. We were ready for that because we had our own stuff with us. Wait, so just right then and there, you're doing a sound check and you just say, fuck it, let's make a live album tonight? Exactly. Like exactly. Awesome. Exactly. Yeah. Because somebody just told us that there would be a guy who would record a video. And we were just talking, Roman, me and Vlad to each other. And we decided, why, why don't we just uh, record our audio? This is how it was born. <laughs> so out of curiosity, how long did it take before you guys were able to travel with your own console, have the same rig every night, basically you know, the way you guys are doing it now is, in my opinion, fucking awesome. But I'm sure that's not how it started. 
Yeah. <laughs> How long did it take? When did we start to bring our own mixing console, Roman? Do you remember? 2015? 16. Oh, 16. 16. 16. 16. Yeah, 16. When Vlad came. Yeah, Vlad, Vlad joined us, and this was the time when we just decided to, you know, make some changes and bought our first mixing console. It was actually Behringer, if I'm not mistaken. X32, right? Yeah, yeah we yes. had that shit. We had uh, that shit for some time. I think so, yeah. Before that, we were traveling just, you know, just the back line, <laughs> and that's it. No monitoring, nothing. We just went on stage and did punk rock, I think. <laughs> but now, looking back and, you know... But it was fun, it was fun. It was fun, but it, and <laughs> it didn't sound that horrible. <laughs> it sounded well. It sounded good. How long did it take before uh, people outside the... Ukraine started to notice, but I'll just say that I first heard of you guys in 2015. I saw the video with the dogs. I'm I'm bad with song names, but you so you know which one I'm talking. Yeah, about. yeah, of the course. The dog, and I was like, hmm, this band's pretty cool. And I just paid attention. I mean, you guys know your own career, so like, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. But I imagine that things had to be going for quite a while, quite a bit of struggle to get to the point where even I heard of you guys. So I'm just wondering, like, even like, when did just people in ge your geographical area outside of Ukraine start to notice you? Hard to say, you know, to be honest with you, we first got this attention from outside of Ukraine. And the only later on... That makes sense. Yeah, we, we got some recognition here in Ukraine. But even now, comparing recognition outside of Ukraine and in Ukraine, it's just incomparable. We are way more... We have a bigger status outside than in our own country. It seems to work like that a lot for people. Well, and it's, it's natural because in Ukraine, the whole extreme music scene is just not de well-developed. It's very small and amateur. Yeah, but we started... Like the, when was the band the band founded, Roman? Two thousand eight, nine? I think nine if if we count from Max Records. Yeah, so it's like eleven eight, years eight. ago. Eight, twelve years, okay. twelve years ago now. But we first went on tour, like a real tour, not a single show somewhere, but a tour. Only in two thousand thirteen. But the good side is that since that first tour we were constantly on the road. We were just playing everywhere, no matter what for nothing, for no money, yeah, just for gas money. Uh, we went everywhere. And after seven years, here we are now. I tried to calculate, I tried to count how many shows we played since 2013, and it is over 600. I have gotten the vibe that you guys are a very ambitious group of people, that you guys want the band to do as well as possible, and uh, you work your fucking asses off to do that. And I've always heard that you guys uh, worked your asses off and nobody works their asses off in a band unless they have big ambitions because it's fucking hard. So what I'm wondering is before you got that tour and when things were at their most, uh, I'd say, hopeless, like say before 2013, like, did you guys still have the same ambitions? Like this band's going to be big. We're going to this this is for real no matter how long it takes like this thing is going to be real <laughs> well uh man we we never did it because of ambitions 
the problem we okay again just being very honest and open we just did it because of fun we went to play our first that very tour in march 2013 because we never were abroad before and we went to play in romania <laughs> and in moldova just we didn't make any money and it, it I, i'm sure it didn't promote us that much we just wanted to go and have fun to party to play on stage you know just to enjoy it it was like you know a tourist trip and at the same time some some shows yeah 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 but but dude i know that a lot of people do it because it's fun but after one year there's a lot you know there's a lot of people who quit after you know their band will get signed or they'll start touring and after one year it's not as much fun anymore and then they'll quit I, pers I, I perfectly understand what you mean, but with us it was a bit different because in a year the war started mm -hmm. uh, in the place we, we come from and we had to move out and we didn't have anything. We didn't have uh, a place to stay, we didn't have jobs and we just didn't have anything else to do. We only played because that was the only source of just some income, so some money. And once you're on tour, you don't need to play for a place, you are on tour. And uh, you are given some food, you are yep. given some place to stay, and this is what we did. We, it was a very obvious and very easy choice to do. When you have nothing, it's very easy to leave everything and go somewhere. This is, this is how it happened. And after three, four years, of course, we just understood that, yes, let's say in 2016, we were signed with Napalm Records, and this is where I personally understood that, damn, it works. We, we have some attention, there is some hype going on. So we reached something. And yeah, uh, with understanding that something changed, but then it, it, is, it, is, it was anyway having fun because we, more opportunities opened before us. I just wanted to go to those festivals and play, not to promote the band, but just to enjoy the festival or to go on tour in this. Just to be able to do it for real. Yes, yeah, th that was like a childhood dream. And then we went to play in the States first time in 2018 with Cradle of Filth. And the whole idea is just go into the United States with Cradle of Filth. It, it was exciting. And that was the main reason why we agreed to do that. Because we didn't make much money. We just didn't make any money on that, honestly. Just something to be like able to survive. Zero, stuff like zero, yeah. We, just something to be able to survive. And that's it. Yeah, and... That, that, that was what I was driving at. So the main and the primary reason behind all of that wasn't just the ambition and the, the desire to push this band as far as we can. No, we were first, first of all, enjoying it. And for you just, it's very hard to understand my perspective because look, I am and Roman as we are people from a province in Ukraine, Eastern European country. We never even dreamt of being able to go to the United States or South Africa or Australia. <laughs> yeah. We never thought... It's impossible. It's impossible. We never thought this would happen. It's amazing that it did. But by the way, let me just clarify one thing. I never thought that you didn't do it because you love it. Because I think that it, nobody will suffer through touring long term unless they love it. So to me ambition for wanting to push things and then also loving what you do and the fun are they're two separate things but if you don't have that fun aspect to it 
and loving it and doing it for the right artistic reasons, there's no way to keep it going, in my opinion. Like people eventually leave if they don't have that. So in my mind, I already assumed that uh, that you guys were in it for the love of the music. But there's also a lot of bands that are in it for the love of the music who... Um, who don't work as hard and they don't push as hard. But I understand what you're saying is that there was a, in some ways it was your survival mechanism, like a, a very real survival mechanism to get you out of a very, very bad situation. So why not, why not go for it super hard? Exactly. Exactly. And once you get used to this, once you get used to this, you just, you, you'd start accepting this as uh, something very natural. It just, the, it is the way it is, and you don't know how. You, you just don't even know that it can be different. This is your life, and you just live your life the way you want. Yeah, absolutely. I was just thinking about what you guys are saying about how you never imagined the sorts of things that you're doing now. All right, so you you say you never imagined it, um, and basically the success is beyond, in some ways, beyond your wildest dreams, but. At the same time, how do you keep yourself grounded in it so that you don't get lost thinking about, oh, wow, this is so cool. Now we've really made it or anything like that. Because I feel like sometimes thinking about that kind of stuff too much distracts people from doing the work. So how do you keep your mind level and grounded on earth? Roman, how do you keep your mind level? Because you, you keep it silent for too long. <laughs> <laughs> hey, bro. You speak too well, I don't know. Because <laughs> my, my English well. is not so good to speak like you. So. No, you're doing you know. great, dude. Man, uh, you know... No, Eugene, your English is great. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. That's why I do all this press. Yeah, but this one I enjoy. Yeah, it's cool to talk to you guys. <laughs> Which I, I would Likewise. never... Yeah, which I would never be able to speak about most of the press we, we do these days. <laughs> you know, actually... There are a few reasons and a few ways for us to keep, like you said, down to earth. We never had, um, you know, you need time. You need to stop in order to understand where you are now. Once you run all, all the way, and this is what we have been doing all these years. We were running, 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 running somewhere. Yeah, and enjoying it, of course. But uh, only after this quarantine started, we, I personally was able to look back and realize what sort of a way we, we've done all over the years. But like I said, in our case, everything comes from, you know, this love for music. And uh, being on quarantine for a few months, I just started feeling very depressed because me and Tatiana, we were in Los Angeles and the guys went back to Ukraine and uh, we were separated. And uh, I, I started feeling like I, uh, I am out of the band because we, we couldn't rehearse together. We, of course, you know, kept in touch, but it's not the same. It's not playing music together. And uh, I only felt all right after I came back to Ukraine and we had the first rehearsal. And uh, love for music stands behind everything that is happening in this in this band we just don't have time you know to turn our noses up and and become arrogant and things like that and you know just get this star 
thick, uh, sickness or disease, how you call this. We just didn't have time for this and we don't have time for this now because we are constantly doing something music-wise. We are writing new songs, we are making new music videos because we really enjoy it and we cannot imagine ourselves without this. And we just don't have time for all this bullshit. And, and it is bullshit. It is bullshit. Once you're very busy, you, you yeah. won't be doing this bullshit because you're busy with your work, with things you love. I'm glad that you called it bullshit because uh, I feel like some musicians succumb to it. Like they start to believe, they start to believe that they, that they're like a, like a God almost. Um, and it kind of, I mean, not necessarily God, but their, their head gets overinflated. Their sense of themselves gets overinflated. And in some ways it distracts them from worrying about what really matters which is the music to get too too focused on it i i feel like when you spend too much time worrying about what other people think whether it's good reviews or bad reviews or whatever you take too much of that in you're going to start believing it so if uh if you take in too many bad reviews it can make a person start to feel insecure if you take in too much of the praise and take it too seriously that can also get a person kind of crazy neither of them are good i think just keeping your eye on Balance. what you're doing it for yeah what you why you're doing it in the first place i think that that's the uh the healthiest way to approach it you need to believe in your own stuff enough think that it's important enough to to actually put it out there in the world like if you don't have enough of that you're not going to put it in front of other people put yourself in front of other people and take the risk of possibly being rejected by the world rejected by your friends or having your ideas rejected now if you have too much ego overconfidence into arrogance uh then you won't listen to what other people say uh and you won't be it will be impossible to work with you and you'll have very you'll basically have a very very hard time in the world or create a very hard time for other people and it won't be good for your music in the end because uh you'll start believing that you're a lot better than you actually are but i think you need to have a, just enough just enough like the perfect amount like the goldilocks zone of ego uh to where you do feel confident. And I do think it's on a spectrum. I think some people some people have too much, some people have too little, and some people have just enough, basically. You know what, this, uh, the key word is enough, and this is actually what we, what we miss a lot in the modern world. Not only talking about music, but talking about all the, all the things happening around these days. People literally have forgotten the concept of enough and they, they either need more and more and more and just cannot really satisfy their, uh, you know, enormous ambitions or greed or whatever. Or, or there, there is another type of people who, who are not even craving for anything. <laughs> they are so much, so much satisfied with what they, they have, even though it is not enough. So, and the, this keeping the balance with what you were talking about, this is what, what we really miss. Well, so the thing with being satisfied with not enough, in my opinion, the reason I think people do that is because they don't have enough ego or enough confidence. So they tell themselves, this is not possible for me because I'm not good enough. I should just be okay with, with something less than, 
I'm capable of. And so they accept a, a lesser outcome in their life, which I don't think makes them happy in the end. At all. So what's enough for you? Be happy. <laughs> for me, enough is, yeah, is happiness. Once I'm happy, that's enough. And how do you know when that is? Oh, you feel definitely, you can feel that you are happy. It, it, is, it, is, it is impossible maybe to explain in words, but once you are happy, you feel it. It's just very important to stay honest with yourself. Yeah, not to lie to yourself, but th yeah, this is the key thing. If you do not lie yourself and you, you definitely know and feel you're you are happy, then you are happy and th this is where enough is enough. If I'm happy with this sound, let's say, making an album, I will, not, I will never work more of it because I never try to do things to make things better than they are, if they are okay now. If they are good, I, my, my, my opinion is that it is just, it doesn't make sense to work on good things because better is an enemy of good, if you know what I mean. This is, yeah, this is just my, my approach. You know, what's interesting about what you just said is uh, when you know something is enough, like good enough, well, okay, so there's a way that, uh, there's a way you can look at it as, which I don't think this is what you mean. Um, some people uh, will say, okay, that's good enough to just get by. I don't think that's what you mean. I think what you mean is when you find the right tone, the end, you found the right tone. Exactly, uh, exactly. Well, because I'm clarifying because I think some people, like for instance, studio engineers, they'll be mixing something and it sounds awesome, but then they won't know that they hit that moment and then they'll just keep going until they fucking ruin it. You see, the problem is that our mind just plays so many tricks on us. It, it, getting, back to that, <laughs> getting back to that point that you, you remember just a few minutes ago we were talking about writing songs and that we... Uh, just unintentionally start to value things which we put more efforts in more. So for us, if we put more efforts into something, it is more valuable. Yeah, and we, we just miss a lot of other factors. We miss that something may come out of pure inspiration and come effortlessly, but it is a masterpiece. So this is just the mind playing tricks. It's a mind playing tricks, but it's a very real phenomenon. Uh, I used to work with this mixer. He's very fast. So like he could mix a song in 45 minutes and it would sound amazing. But uh, whenever we would be working on an album and he would mix something in 45 minutes, he would wait a week to send it to the band because he's gotten fired before he mixed their song in 45 minutes sent it back he got fired because they thought that he was fucking around or being lazy <laughs> so what he would do is mix it in the amount of time it took him to mix send it a week later so that they thought that he was working in it all week and then they would love it um <laughs> i will ask max, max i will ask max about <laughs> how max works <laughs> A lot of people mix pretty fast, but it's exactly what we were talking about because the band didn't, they didn't accept that this mix could be awesome in 45 minutes because it's not long enough, even though the mix sounded awesome in 45 minutes. Some people are just, are just that fast. So I know you guys have to go. I know you told me 90 minutes. Um, I'm sure we could keep talking forever for hours, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we should yeah. do this again sometime. It's been a pleasure talking to you guys. Big pleasure for us. Yeah. Big pleasure for me. 